This is an important announcement for all of you who attend the Tridentine Mass, as well as for everyone in the parish. Our 40 hours devotion will be next weekend. This means that this Mass, the Tridentine Mass, the Latin Mass, will be transferred to noon. It will not be at 9.30. This will be a rite, new rite Mass at 9.30 next week, so please keep that in mind. But also we encourage you to come to church to adore the Lord, exposed in the Blessed Sacrament. So please plan on that this weekend. It opens Friday morning, our 40 hours devotion, and we'll conclude at the noon mass next weekend. <clears throat> In my homeschool class on the Psalms, I told my students recently that there are several Hebraicisms in the Psalms. And one has to get used to them in reading them there and in the rest of the Bible as well. By Hebraicisms, I mean expressions in the Hebrew language that seem odd when they're translated into another language. Latin or English, for example. And so we have words in the Bible which name the inner parts of the human anatomy to express deep spiritual sentiments, feelings, and thoughts. And so instead of saying, for example, my deepest longing is for God, I might say in, in a biblical idiom that my kidneys, my reins, my bowels, my belly, and of course, more commonly, my heart yearns for God. Heart is the one organ that has carried over into our English usage and probably most every other language as well to express sincerity or deep emotion. And so we have a passage today from Colossians for our epistle in which St. Paul writes about putting on the bowels of mercy, benignity, humility, modesty, and patience. Not, as I said, our ordinary way of speaking. The whole passage taken in context is a plea for us to allow all the goodness that can come forth from our souls to come out, to be manifest in our deeds, I wouldn't say exactly this means wearing our faith on our sleeves, as we say, but it does mean to elicit effective acts of charity from souls that have been captivated by Christ, souls that have been sanctified by God's elevating grace. Put another way, we're admonished not to hinder the movement of the Holy Spirit 
in our minds and in our hearts. Movements which are outwardly evident expressions of faith, charity, meekness, forbearance, and all their related virtues. These virtues are most becoming of anyone whom Paul calls the elect of God, which is to say the chosen people, a highly charged term, as you know, since it refers historically not to the Gentiles, such as the Colossians, but to Jews only, the chosen race. But since the time of Christ, God's election of the Gentiles gives them an equal share in the inheritance once promised only to the Jews. And this ought to have visible evidence in their conduct. It ought to be manifestly clear to others in our ways of speaking and acting that we have been grasped, seized by God as a people of election, grasped by the Holy Spirit. In saying this, I'm not advocating that rather unbecoming enthusiasm, which has been called nowadays charismatic, with all the crazed hoopla of excited religious emotion. I refer rather to what St. Paul speaks about here in this epistle, those very things which the church has traditionally identified as authentic expressions of Christian souls which have been suffused by divine grace. These are those very same virtues which tame and master the unruly side of our nature and subdue and submit everything in us to the rule, measure, and strictures of the gospel, all of which is to say is our Catholic faith. This is a transformative process of making us resemble ever more closely Christ himself. Christ has to be formed in us. We must try to replicate his life in us to become copies, impersonators of Christ, an entire renovation of the interior man, These are all expressions from the New Testament, which in turn derive from Hebrew expressions of the Old Testament, which attempt to make us realize the necessity for what we call, and here again is that expression, the interior renovation, renewal, conversion, that turning about of changing ourselves under the influence of God's grace in order to become other Christs. This is a bold undertaking, of course, 
and it's no simple task. It means that we have to overcome a strong, unruly, contrary tendency of self-orientation. One of the definitions of sin. And to take on that new man made in the image of Christ. This is a great work for everybody. It's our most urgent and necessary task in this life to master ourselves, to take on the likeness of Christ. To borrow imagery from the gospel just sung, God sees the good seed that he planted in us at our baptism. And from this there ought to grow an abundance of good wheat, good deeds. But alas, there may be those noxious, deadly weeds, which in Latin has that zany-sounding word, zizania, that cockle of the gospel, which tends to choke off the good shoots. One of the many great lines from the Psalms in the Vulgate comes to mind here. He who loves iniquity hates his own soul. I know that our Lord was speaking in the gospel about a broad picture, which is to say he was talking about in this wheat and the weeds, about the church being in the world, the kingdom of heaven. And he was not speaking particularly about individual people, but even so, the metaphor holds good when it's applied to us as individuals as well. And so, what obstacles to grace are there in us that we've not yet uprooted, that we've not yet expurgated from our viscera, our guts? There's another one of those Hebraicisms from the Bible. And what virtues do we yet have to plant there for to have a good yield on Judgment Day? God gives us time. He lets the field develop over time. Time in order to make changes in our lives. The secret prayer from this Mass, captures this idea. Mercifully absolve us from our sins, O Lord, and direct our inconstant hearts. This is a spiritual program for a whole lifetime. 